Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. I am joined today by Robert Stevenson, one of the most widely sought-after speakers in the world, as well as a best-selling author. Robert was recently ranked number four in the world by LinkedIn Thinkers 360 as a change management thought leader and top influencer. Rob, welcome to Motivational Mondays. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Corey. Yes, yes. Well, it's my pleasure too, because you're an expert in building high performance cultures for organizations. But I began to realize as I researched you that so much of what you bring to corporations can be applied to everyday accountability in people's lives as well. So I thought it'd be a great conversation to have with you. Now, your current book is called Raise Your Line. Success is about a higher line mentality. So we'll get to that. But I want to talk about your first book or the previous book, which is How to Soar Like an Eagle in a World full of turkeys. So if we can talk about that one first, can you share a little bit about what that book was about and why you wrote it? Well, I'll take the second part of the question first, uh, why I wrote it. When I got into the speaking business, I got into it because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to speak. I wanted to share. And um, after every program, people will walk up to me and they say, well, do you have a book? And I would go, well, no. And they'd go, oh. And, and then someone else said, do you have a book? And no, and oh, and no, and oh, and no, and oh. It just happened over and over again. I was kind of like, I got tired of the O's. Okay. Like, it's like I didn't have credibility because I didn't have the book. So I said to myself, I'm going to write a book. And I decided to go to bed about an hour later and get up about an hour earlier for a year and, and just write, write, and write, and write. And, and I wrote the book based on what I wish someone had taught me before I got into business. You know, how can you shorten your learning curve? As far as I'm concerned, that's what this is all about. When you buy a book and you're reading it, you're there to try and learn something. So I can, how can I shorten my learning curve? So I put together 47 chapters on an array of different topics, from stress to sales to management to your, you know, your personal situations uh, of, of how you can get better at what you do in business. And some of the chapters are you know, one page, some are several pages. I write the way I speak, so I make it really simple. And people love the title, How to Snore Like an Eagle in a World Full of Turkeys. Everybody can relate to it. In fact, you'll get a kick out of this. When I originally wrote it, my first title is, you know, How to Snore Like an Eagle when you're, when you're Surrounded by Turkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I sent it to several of my friends uh, before, you know, we got it published. And I said, well, you, what do you think? And they said, I can't buy the book. And I said, why? And they said, well, if I had it sitting on my desk and when you know, I went and bought it, and people then walked up and looked at it. They would go, well, that's what you think of us, mm. you know, when you're surrounded by their immediate people. So I had to change the title. And so that's what I was trying to do is I was trying to shorten the learning curve. And, 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 it, and it worked. People love the book. It was a bestseller for me. They love the title. And, and, and keep it simple. It's, it's, it's not a hard book to read. It's a really easy book. And then would you say that raise your line, is that a follow-up or does that approach a different thought process when it comes to leadership? It actually approaches it from a different thought process because um, when I wrote How to Soar, I just got into the speaking business. And, I'm, and what I do when I, in, in my programs is I interview people. I don't do generic programs. I don't have a, a here's my motivational program or here's my leadership program or here's my sales program and just pull it up. 
I interview a lot of people. In fact, I've interviewed over 10,000 employees, managers, and senior executives at over, you know, 250 different industries. And what that helped me with is, you know, when you do it that way, you're talking to a lot of smart people and getting their information from you. So your, your materials doesn't stay stale. It stays very fresh because you're constantly asking questions of people and listening to what they have to say. So when I was doing the follow-up book to How to Soar, and it really wasn't a sequel because I'm, I'm actually writing the sequel right now. I figured you know, based on the, the original premise of The Eagle. But when I did 52, well, I also had another book, 52 Essential Habits for Success. But when I wrote Raise Your Line, I wanted to, I have over 100 what I call line raisers. And in fact, when you read the book, you can kind of flip through it and every one of them is in a box, you know, because everybody, everybody's like, give it to me now, Rob. I mean, you look at Twitter, you look at, you know, Instagram, everything's quick, fast, you know, clip it's of what I need. And so... I, I base it on, on four different premises. I and mean, when you start looking at it as far as how is it as a mindset, your personal mindset, you know, how do you need to approach life? How do you need to do it as a leader? All right. How do you need to do it as a company? And then more importantly, how do you need to do it personally? So it's based in four, it's, it's in four sections. And then what I did is when I started talking about the line raisers, you can flip through the book and all you have to do is look at the line raisers and then it'll give you the, the, the instant thing, do this. Because a lot of people, that's all they want. They don't, they don't want the minutiae in between. They don't need 20 pages of research to say, this is why. They, they just say, you know, you know it's, in my case, it's kind of like, all right, I interviewed 10,000 people. I put together what they had to say, and I put it in there and said, there it is. So make it simple. But I think with your, your people get a kick out of it is how, how I came up with the title. Because I was having a real problem, you know, naming the book. And so I called one of my agents and you know, I said, Lisa, I'm, I'm having trouble naming the book. I said, you, you know, you got any suggestions? And she said, Rob, you've done over 2,500 speaking engagements in 16 countries. She said, you've talked to a lot of people and done a lot of programs. She said, let me ask you this question. She said, if you could leave them with one thought that would make them better, the one most special thought, what's the thought? And I was like going, whoa. That's kind of profound. So I went back and looked at the other books that I'd written and all the articles I'd written and everything else. I kept coming back to this one article that I'd written about my son. Tyler was getting ready to graduate from Florida State. And uh, I said, you know, you're getting ready to come out in the business world, Tyler. And he was sitting in my office. I said, how do you go about making decisions? Now, he's my son. I'm a motivational business speaker. I've been speaking his entire life. He's been surrounded by me his entire life. So he's probably going to come back with something that I've said. I'm going to be so proud. He regurgitated something that I taught him. All right. Right. And without any hesitation whatsoever, he looks at me and he says, it's all about raising your line, dad. And I was like, what? I had never said it in my life. And I was like, I said, what in the world does that mean, Tyler? He said, life's a line. You're born, you die. It's a line. Now, when he finished that one statement, I'm going, this is not good. I'm not, no, no, I'm real proud of this situation. You know, it's a line. And he says, then he follows it up. He says, if you do something good, your line goes up. If you do something bad, your line goes down. He says, why would I ever want my line to go down? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wow, a 20-year-old, out of, out, I mean, what a profound statement. And what a simple, how to simplify what we're talking about. Say, even when you're in business, when you're, when you're in a management meeting and you're getting ready to make a decision, is this going to make our line go up 
It's going to make it, yeah, well, you start talking about profits or is this going to make it go down or how's this going to affect us? So every time you're making a decision about yourself on a personal basis, it's going to make my line go. Now, sometimes you got to study and your line's going to be flat. That's okay. But once you're finished, are you going to take it up? Because that's what you need to do. You constantly need to be taking it up a step every time. Constantly need to be learning. So that's why I wrote the book, Raise Your Line. And I got the title from my 20-year-old. Wow, that is profound. I mean, because it's just so simplified. Everything is about like, you know, it's really it's kind of sad, I guess, in a way, but it's it's birth and death. And it's what we fill in between those two points, right? And that's a line. <laughs> and so I think that is pretty profound. And I love that you thought he was going to give you some big philosophical... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so great. When you look at it, it it, it was so much simpler. Yeah, simplified ideas are much easier to process for people. So, you know, I want to ask you, well, as I mentioned, so many of your principles can be applied to people. So one of the things I've done in researching to talk to you is I've gone and I looked at some of your live seminars, and and they are thoroughly uh, entertaining, educational, and fun, the way you you present your information. You're welcome. So one of the profound things you touch on in one of your seminars that I love was this assessment tool that helps brands understand how to view their competition. And it involves looking at your own company through the eyes of, quote, unquote, the eyes of your enemy. Yes. I got that from Boeing. Boeing um, built this absolutely fabulous $60 million facility on leadership in St. Louis. Because, I mean, here's a company, a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar organization. And um, 300,000 employees, they, they need leaders. And when McDonald Douglas and Boeing merged, they, the two CEOs got together and they said, we got a problem. We need leaders. So they made a huge commitment to build, build, build this leadership facility. And I had the opportunity to spend three days with them. And as I said, I'm always going to school on my clients. And so when I was interviewing Boeing and, and talking to a lot of their people, their future leaders, I learned this concept. What they actually did is they would take four or five or six people within Boeing who bleed Boeing blood. I mean, they're just raw, raw for Boeing. And they sit there and say, okay, you guys are spies. For the next two, three, four, five, six months, whatever the time project they wanted to give on you, you're spies. And what you're going to do is you're going to, you have all the resources available to the organization available to you. What we want you to do is figure out how our competition would take us down. Where are our weak points? All right. So they would get together and they would think about all this stuff. And then they would, and then they would come back six months later and then they would report back to them. They would say, they said, if we were going to attack Boeing, if we were going to beat you in the marketplace. This is how we would do it. The eyes of the enemy. So then the way we do is once they put that list together, then they would sit there and say, okay, well, then how are we going to fix this? How are we going to approach this? What are we going to do to make this not happen? And so to me, when I look at Companies that are out there today, and you sit there and talk about how you're going to beat them, you look at your company through the eyes of the enemy. How do they want to beat you? Uh, like I called a company today, and I couldn't get anybody. You talk about all the technology that we have out there. Well, what am I talking to? I'm talking to a stupid machine. I don't care who you are. A lot of companies today are getting rid of voicemail, and they're putting a human on the phone. Novel idea. Right? Not only a human on the phone, a human who's smart. Because that's the first face that I have of your company. If they pick up the phone and I have someone absolutely brilliant on the phone, I'm going, if that person's that good, think how good the rest of the company is. But what happens today? Uh, stick them in the voicemail, huh? Make them go into a chat bot. Uh, make them type in their question and we'll get back to them in a week. And so, you, and so you wonder why your companies fail. That's why they're doing it. So when you look at it from the, I mean, I thought, and even though Boeing's had some problems, they'll rally back because the culture is right. 
But when you look at what they said, look at your company through the eyes of the enemy, we all need to do that. Well, how I thought that applied to the everyday, which I thought was profound, was if I were a young person, you know, our audience, they're the young college age for the most part. And we have a lot of postgraduate people too and alumni, but if I were a young person going out in the world for the first time and I was going after those big jobs and just kind of starting to try to establish myself, I thought I could apply that same principle. I could put myself in the eyes of all the adversity in the world. And what are the reasons why I might fail? What are the reasons why I might not get into that company or why they may not see me in the best light? Is my resume what it should be? Are my interview skills what they should be? Like, What would take me down in this process? And I thought, oh my gosh, that's such an amazing assessment for a company, but it's also an amazing assessment for people if we were to apply that filter. So it was just something I thought of. I'm not sure what you think about that. No, I think, I think, I think that's totally correct because when you look at it, when you go out into the marketplace, if you do get the opportunity to talk to the people, you can get finally past the gatekeepers of all the HR resume people yeah. that are looking for certain things. In fact, I had a person one time ask me at an HR meeting, they said, how, do you, how did you go about hiring people? Because I, I was a business person long before I was ever a speaker. I own five companies. And, you know, I've sold in 20 countries. And I, 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 I think I flabbergasted them. I said, I hire people based on Twinkle. And they're like, uh, what? <laughs> and I said, it's, it's in their eyes. If you can get someone that's fired up, I can teach you anything you need to know. I mean, Jeff Weiner, CEO of, of LinkedIn, was asked, where, where are people failing? This is LinkedIn. This is people looking for jobs, okay? He says, where are they failing? Soft skills. 15% of your success at a job is based on your hard skills, your technical skills. Mm-hmm. 85% is based on your soft skills. Can you communicate? Can you look eye to eye? Can you, can you come across with them? Can you listen? So many times people listen to speak, and to speak next, where you should listen to find out what did they just say before you get in there. So you're totally correct. What you look for your weak points. And in fact, get some of your friends. If, I, if I'm doing something wrong, I mean, you have people that will make eye contact. And, mm-hmm. and you have people that, I mean, they're so good at you know, tweeting, but they're not good at writing. It's something that you said as well, which is to go beyond what's expected to be successful. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because, you know, so many of us are taught, you know, just be good, be good at what you do. And, you know, that'll get by. But you're saying there's an importance in going beyond what's expected to be really successful. So share a little bit about that thought, if you wouldn't mind. Well, if I have somebody that's working for me that just, you say, do this, and they just do that. Okay, I can get a lot of people that'll do just that. Right. But who's the person that's going to become the leader? Who's going to stand out? Who's going to be the person that gets there a little bit earlier and is going to stay a little bit later and is going to do just a little bit more? Because what I'm looking for is I'm looking for your best, not just to get by. Because if we're just to get by, the culture of our company will flounder, will lose to our competition. So when I suggest to people, when you're talking to the, you know, your students that are out there, when someone gives you a product or a project, do more than they expected. So they kind of go, wow. And then they remember who you are. Because it's kind of like, oh, you just got by. If you're a just get by, I don't need you. There's too many of them out there. But if you're a person that makes you go, wasn't that a nice touch? Wasn't that a neat thing to do? Wasn't that really special? And then, then the next thing you know, all of a sudden, I want you. And, and, and people will be talking about you in the organization. So when, when you're a new student and all of a sudden you graduate and you get into that new organization, volunteer. All right. So someone says, you know, we ain't got anybody to do this? Sure. 
Do you know how to do it? Don't have a clue. (laughs) But if you'll teach me, I'm there. I'm your guy. Okay. And then all of a sudden they go, wow. So you, you, so it's a step above. And the next thing you know, they're sitting there going, holy cow, I can start to count on you. And that's what's going to separate you from all the other people in the company, the ones that are looking at the clock at five o'clock and they're out of there. Right. Yeah. You know, some of the most successful CEOs I've interviewed, they've all had that same story, whereas someone gave them an opportunity and it was a big one. And they were like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I said, yes, I said, I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, can you do that? Sure. And then, and then the next thing you do, you take it to the next level. And then someone says, what, how do you know you do? I don't know, but I'm going to call somebody. I guarantee you there's somebody out there. There's a YouTube video on it. There's something out there that's going to teach me how to do this. (laughs) Yeah. And then you deliver. That's the key. But that's the person that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the person who wants to go above and beyond. You were contacted by a company who had a problem with being a bit fragmented in their existence. There were like, I believe, 97 employees. And the whole idea was, you know, they had to try to to simplify or the, what their company vision was, right? They had to have one company vision. So the idea for you was, well, listen, I need to have everyone be asked what is their sole vision at the company, right? So you'd kind of get back all their responses. So tell me a little bit about that and what happened with the responses you received when you did ask that question. It was a multi-billion dollar company. CEO had heard me speak before and he called me up and he said, Rob, we're doing a strategic planning session. I'm bringing in 97 of my senior vice presidents from all over the world. And he said, we're fragmented. He said, we're all over the place. He said, but I can't prove it to them. He said, can you help me out? I said, absolutely. He said, all right. I said, I said, I need you to send an email. He said, an email is going to solve this problem? I said, no, sir. An email is going to identify this problem. He said, you got to be kidding me. I said, no. And I said, in fact, it's only one sentence. And then he was like, oh, okay, you really got my attention. What's the one sentence? And I said, send this to all 97. What's the most important thing that we need to do to be the most successful company in our industry? What's the most important thing we need to do to be the most successful company in our industry? Send it to all 97. And I said, but my caveat is this. You don't get the answers. He said, what do you mean I don't get the answers? I said, I get them. I said, I don't want anybody in your company to know what the answers were and how the responses are until we have the meeting. He said, not with me, Rob. And then I'll ask the audience. I'll sit there and say, you know, how many ones, how many different ones do you think we got? And you'll get somebody up, 97. And I said, pretty good. I said, but, you know, I said, we got 55 different number ones. Now, these are the top leaders of the company. In a company that does one thing, we got 55 different number ones. We had 14 that agreed with some things, but the 55 different number ones was the problem. We're in that proof fragmentation instantly. I said, we need to have one, not 55, one. Well, and so what we did for the next two days is we called it down to the top three. I always like to bring it to the top three. And then we get everybody to work, come up with a number one. This is where we need to go. And what's interesting is when you start working on the number one, a lot of the other ones fall away. Right. Because you fixed the number one. But you can, you know, when you ask the people, you know, what do we do in our company? So many people can't tell you that answer. They don't know what they do. And it's like the, the students out there, they're sitting there and they're going, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Well, maybe you don't exactly know that right now. All right. I didn't know when I went to school. When I got out, I started finding things that I got more interested in and more interested in and more interested in. And I got better at it. But I was, I was always going forward. All right. So when, when you look at it from that perspective, and, you know, they were fragmented. And now all of a sudden, we unfragmented them. This is where we need to be. 
And once you get focus is everything. I mean, I mean, look at a magnifying glass and starting to fire. It's, it's, it's the greatest example out there as far as you want to get it done. You focus it to that fine pen and all of a sudden poof, it ignites. You know, I, I have a dear friend of mine. She is brilliant. And she calls me up to call out the things she shouldn't be doing, okay? Because <laughs> she gets too many pokers in the fire. Yeah, yeah. One thing that your students need to learn how to say is no. Oh, so true. So true. I, I, I'm sorry. I can't do that right now. Or if you want to do that right now, then what are you going to eliminate? Because there's so many things that we need to put together. So we got to be able to say, no, I can't do that right now. All right? So she'll come to me and she's talking, I want to do this and I want to do that. And, I want to. and so I'll just talk her through what's the most important ones to her. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I just this one. And I said, there we go. If you put all your resources in 15 things, the 15 things really aren't that good. Yep, yep. It's so true because we have this society, I think, where we all, well, many of us want to please people. We want to say yes to everyone. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of that too. That's a, like a fault of myself where I want to say yes to everyone and I know I don't have the bandwidth and I say, yes. And next thing you know, I'm the one who's like not delivering or, or, you know, it's an uncomfortable situation. So learning to say no, it's difficult, but it is something that I think really saves peace of mind and allows you to do higher quality work because you have the time to actually finish a job more efficiently. Well, it's like probably my greatest fault as a speaker is I speak too fast. All right. I get so excited in the program and I have so much that I want to share. It's like I'm just coming at a rapid fire. But you know what's interesting? You speak at about three to 400 words, and then you know, you, but you can hear about 1,200. Mm. So once they get into it, they don't have a problem following it. And also, I think the excitement keeps them into it. But if I could maybe take one less subject out, I had somebody, I had a mentor one time tell me, he says, take one point out. Because I talk in stories, vignettes. He says, so you got seven stories, do six. And every once in a while, breathe. but but when you look at it you're trying to figure out i just want to get it there i want to get that much more done but you've got to be careful on that especially when you're when you're spreading your your resources out on on you you just can't get it all done thank you for listening to motivational mondays presented by the national society of leadership and success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts i'm Corey andrew powell and i'll see you again here next week